it's relationship. And if anyone, like whatever you're looking to get into, crypto or land deals or whatever, right? Find someone that's doing that and be do what I did, right? Be around, be available. Don't just blindly you say, hey, let me know if I can help you, but figure out how you can help them. What they don't know your skill set or your superpowers, right? Everyone's got a superpower. So what how can you match up what you're really good at with what they might need in their business and build that relationship over time? I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome back, Contrarian Cashflow. Today, I've got Justin Fraser with me today. Justin, what's going on, my man? Hey, John. Thanks for having me, man. And you, you said my name right, so one point for you already. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty anal about doing prep work for, for these interviews, and I definitely heard a couple Frasers in there a couple times. Yep. So, you yep. know, I don't see any IER <laughs> in there at all. So I had yeah. to give you give you credence. <laughs> for those folks that don't know, so Justin is actually about to be a next door neighbor of mine down here in the great state of North Carolina. So super excited about that. Yes, sir. But he is a real estate investor, the head asset manager for the DeRosa Group, podcast host, true multifamily, and uh, most importantly, a loving father and husband. So Justin, what do you got going on right now? <laughs> All of those things. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. Thanks for having me. And yeah, that it's fun, man. I'm I'm actually having fun doing everything. All of those things are, you know, life-changing and incredibly exciting. And uh, really, I'm doing what I want to be doing. So those are the things that that I enjoy, that I'm good at doing, and and that pay me. And so that's that's what we're doing. And and I'm really happy living in that intersection right now. Well, I'd say that's a pretty powerful start to the interview. You're getting to be able to love what you're doing and, and getting paid for it. So uh, yeah, I'm excited absolutely. to get into this. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you're, you obviously didn't start that way, right? In right. regards to your journey, because you had a really successful corporate career prior to, so let's just dive into it. So, so what kind of took you from point A to point B? How'd you get from, you know, successful corporate career to now entrepreneur, investor, extraordinaire, yeah. everything that I we mean, talked about? Listen, I'll take you through, even just in college, I, I went to Drexel University and Drexel has this awesome uh, co-op program where it takes five years to graduate, but when you do, you will have had 18 months of full-time work experience. So you do this thing after freshman year where you work full-time for six months and then you're in class full-time for six months. So I got to try a few different companies, a few different things that I, I wanted to do. I worked for a very popular like bread company in the marketing department. And so I, I tried a few different things and the company with my last last time through, I was doing uh, software project management. And I was, so I was managing design and development of enterprise software. And the content was particularly boring. I wasn't that excited about it, but I did enjoy the project management side of things, putting budgets together, building a plan. I've always just been sort of a planner type person. And so it really worked well and I ended up being pretty good at it. And so I stayed on after I graduated. It was awesome, right? So it, it took me a little longer to graduate, but I had already worked, made some good money while I was in school and rolled right into a full-time job straight straight away. There was never a interview process out you know, when I graduated. And so I set myself up, I think, kind of nicely there. 
but I also then kind of limited what I was able to do because I, that's what I was doing. I had the job, I rolled right into it. Great. Here's some money, right? Here's a nice, uh, nice salary. And, and you get comfortable with that, that salary. So eventually switched companies doing the same thing though, with a lot of the same people I worked with in Philadelphia and came up here into central New Jersey, which happens to be where I grew up and, and where my wife at the girlfriend at the time was living. So sort of brought me back home and, uh, really like 20 minutes from from where I grew up here. So then uh, just working full time, but making a little bit more money. And I had some time, like these, this new company that I was with, they were paying me more, but they didn't have a ton of projects for me yet. They were growing. And so so here I go like, hey, what what should I do with this extra money that I'm now making? And, you know, stock investing came on. Bigger Pockets had just started this podcast. And so I started, you know, listening and I started researching and figuring out what, what is rental property? What does it even mean? And came to the conclusion that let's try it. Let's buy a rental house, uh, making a little money. So I, I had some money for a down payment, about I think $18,000, which at the time I was 24. So that was a good amount of money for me. And, you know, I, I, eventually bought a single family house. And and that was really how I got into real estate with one first purchase, started cash flowing, managed it myself, stopped cash flowing, went through an eviction, went through, you know, tenants damaging the house, went through really every mistake that you can make as a landlord. But I knew it was for me because even when all those like could be terrible things happened and I could have had a really bad attitude, like I loved it. And I just, the, the whole game to me and the, the dealing with the tenants and, and I mean, in the moment you hate it. And, and I've had some very, very bad damage to, to some of the houses, uh, six figure insurance claims on a single family house. I mean, I, I've gone through it, but at the end of the day, like I realized, wow, this is a, this is a very powerful tool that can, can make me some wealth. And so really after that, I realized like, all right, the job is fine, but I'm going to do my nights, my weekends, my lunch breaks and figure out how I can buy more real estate and buy more cash flow and and build something on the side. And uh, and that's what I started doing. No, that's, that's super interesting. And, and like you said, I think anybody that's done this long enough, thankfully, I haven't had anything as crazy as a six-figure you know, insurance claim yet, but I know I've lost tens of thousands of dollars to contractors or project property managers or craziness here and there. So yeah. One of the things from the beginning, I'm kind of curious about, so you did get that opportunity early on to kind of dabble in different different areas, right? With that program, I mean, that amazing program that you were talking about at Drexel. So coming out of that, I mean, did you kind of feel like you had everything figured out because you got to dabble in these other areas or were you still kind of feeling out what you kind of wanted from this next level of kind of grown up life? So I had a degree, it was a dual concentration marketing and entrepreneurship. And I kind of knew I wanted to run a company, but I didn't know what that meant. And I didn't really, you know, we had like this new product development class and I didn't have any like great new product ideas that I was going to roll out and change the world. And so I kind of just, you know, figured, okay, management, project management kind of is, you know, like being a boss and leading your team and all that. And so that was an equivalent enough that I felt like, um, I had tried marketing. I actually really enjoyed marketing, product marketing, and some of the partnerships and, and cool programs we did there. But I really felt like I was best at doing the, the software design and development project management. And so that that just worked for me. And, and I spoke that language and I knew how to talk to customers and clients and manage you know people that were 20, 30 years older than me, but still able to get them to, to you know follow my lead and, and manage those projects. So 
I got some excitement out of that. So I was pretty happy with it. I, I didn't, I felt like there was always more, but I was, I was comfortable with, with the decision that I made. So what was the, what was the communication like with your spouse, with your, with your wife, or if your girlfriend at the time, I mean, you know, you talk about some of these scenarios with, uh, with the tenants and, and now you're spending mm-hmm. all this time doing this crazy real estate stuff, uh, you know, 24 seven. So, yeah. so what was the communication like and, and how, how involved did she want to be or not want to be in the process? It's so important to have your wife on board or your spouse, um, girlfriend, whoever, because she bought in very early on. We were still tenants, actually. We were renting a house when I bought my first house, not for us to live in, but to rent out. And so the mental gymnastics for her of saying, well, we're buying a house, but we're not living in it. Someone else is living in it, you know, was it was a good conversation and actually probably the best conversation we could have had at the time. And I sort of summarize some of the things I was learning from from podcasts and books and showed her how it would work. And and she said, you know, I, I trust you and and cool, you know, let's figure this out. She has not wanted to be involved in in the business. She went to that very first house, you know, that very first time we bought it. And I don't think she's been to any other property I've ever bought since. And that's okay. Except how we flipped the house. She she went to see that one. But besides that, you know, she's comfortable staying out of it. But you know, there was a lot of time. Uh, at the time we didn't have kids. So it was, you know, we, uh, we would make time, you know, during the week, we could still do like a, a week, you know, date night or something, but weekends were for torn houses and, and hitting the street and trying to figure out driving for dollars, trying to figure out where that next property was coming from. And so she was um, very supportive and uh, very encouraging. So, so thank God for that. And, that, and that's so important. And that's something that I just, you know, regardless of what path you're going down, be it crypto, stocks, real estate, whatever, you know, you just need to make sure that you're aligned from a risk tolerance perspective, because Absolutely. there is a lot of downside that can happen in in really anything. Not, not that there isn't risk in keeping your money in the savings account either, right? There's just as much risk, in my opinion, in, in that is jumping into these yeah. different investments, but you need to make sure that you're actually taking the time and understanding the risk factors and what the downside scenarios are, and that both you and your spouse are comfortable with that. And I'm, I'm very fortunate, you know, same relatively same scenario. My wife's kind of been like, Hey, you know, you just go do your thing. Uh, one of the flips I had done, she was like, you know, the girls aren't going in that house. <laughs> you know, thank, This is pre rehab. This is free rehab. So uh, thankfully it wasn't after we'd done all the work, but she's like, the girls aren't going in that house, you know, like just, um, but you know, again, she didn't, you know, talk down about it or anything. And, and obviously the finished product, when they walk through, they're like, Oh, this is beautiful. Like I can see, you know, why, why you thought this was going to be uh, what was going to yeah. turn out and everything. So so you're flipping houses, you're working full time. How are you able to juggle and manage that schedule to be, you know, I know you talked about weekends and nights, but how are yeah. you able to kind of do that while working a full-time job? Well, I was a project manager, right? So I, I'm pretty good with scheduling and, and balancing deadlines and all that. I did have a partner who uh, here in New Jersey, we bought a few single family rentals together and we did flip the house together. So it was helpful to have him. He he was full-time in the business, so he didn't have many living expenses. And so he was able to um, be a realtor, make some money that way, and also um, run our flip for us and and sort of be like property manager for our portfolio. So that was helpful to have, have him involved here. Yeah. And I, I think it's so important. I mean, I'm kind of I think it's good to have partners, you know, not necessarily like, you know, to the point where it's more of a marriage, you know, where you guys have some contractual agreement, but it's nice to have people that you can delegate to and kind of, you yeah. know, stay in your lanes as far as what's successful and, and what's not. And, you know, so you guys can leverage each other's time and strengths kind of as Partnerships needed. are tough, man. I love partnerships. And I think that, you know, if you have the right partners, you will do way more than you could ever do on your own. I couldn't imagine doing what I'm doing now without my my partners. 
but also, you know, there I've had partners in the past that, you know, they kind of not drag you down, but if you don't have the same goals and same success criteria, you could be kind of going in two different directions and, and it could be tough to, to be successful together. Well, and, and people change too. That's the other, that's the other thing too. And I think that's the struggle is, you know, most of the times when you're forming or starting a partnership, both sides have the best intentions and say, this is going to be wonderful. This is going to be the best, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. And, and, you know, just as time changes, as the stress actually begins to creep in, you know, things happen and people react differently, you know? And so, like you said, it's better to just kind of slow, slow play it before jumping in head first. Cause I know that I've personally made that mistake as well. Um, you know, in some, in some scenarios, thankfully it wasn't, you know, the end of the world, but obviously it was a little bit more stressful and uncomfortable than I would have liked. So, so you're working, you're doing this real estate stuff. So how'd you kind of get from the PM full-time role into now kind of dabbling more full-time into the real estate side? Yeah. Well, I decided that the, the amount of time I was spending, I, I was having my first son and the amount of time I was spending for, for chasing a, a single family house that best case scenario might result in $400 a month profit that I'm then splitting with my partner. You know, I just did some math. I'm like, I'm never going to scale this to, to where I wanted to be doing it this way. And prices were getting higher and the cash flow was getting tighter. So uh, I decided multifamily was going to be the way to go. And so I basically put all my investing on, on hold. Um, that partner and I didn't dissolve our partnership, but we just kind of stopped buying together. And so we're just holding what we had and, you know, currently in the process of selling that right now, but uh, decided that, Hey, multifamily, you know, I could, I get a lot more, more revenue, more units, more everything for the time. And if I could go and put all the time and energy into finding the right deal, then that might be a better use of, of the hours in my day. Having that kid really you know, pushes you to to start thinking about every hour you're spending. Where in the beginning with my wife, yeah, I could just come and go, but but as soon as the kid gets involved, you know, you've got to be very precious about how much time you spend away. And so I'm I try even now just to be very deliberate about when I leave and and how long I'm gone and why I'm leaving. So so multifamily, I I said, okay, I don't know much about multifamily, but I know some people who do. And so I had a uh call my mentor here in in the same market. Um, Matt, who is is my partner now, but he had just bought a 49 unit and he was actually running a, a RIA meeting and he, he was the guest speaker. And so he came and talked about a 49 unit that he bought and sort of broke down the steps. And I was like, yeah, I, I can do that. I could do that too, you know? So let me go, I'm going to go buy a 50 unit. And so I started calling brokers and and talking to people and they were like, okay, but you don't have that much experience. You just have a few single family rentals and yeah, you flipped a house and all that, but like what you're not really qualified to go be putting in $3 million offers. So, so I went to Matt and I said, Hey, I'm going to go do this, but clearly I'm not, I don't have enough experience or credibility on this. So I'd like you to partner with me. And, and he was on board. And so that's, you know, a great tip for anyone looking for a mentor is figure out how you can add value. Because I basically said, I'm going to do all the work but instead of me buying it, it's going to be we, us. And instead of my few units, it's our hundreds of units and our combined credibility and experience. And so that made us as a buying team look a lot stronger. And uh, also just gave me someone to look over my shoulder and check my numbers and talk me off the ledge when I wanted to just throw in the towel and, and all that. So uh, having him in my corner was was super helpful. And uh, I went and found eventually found a... 40 unit property in Virginia and found it, 
raised the money for it, did the underwriting and, you know, Matt, Matt supported me along the way. Um, but, you know, I needed to, to qualify for the loan and find the key principles, find their earnest money, raise all the cash. And, and that's what I did. And so going through that process was um, very time consuming, but again, was doing it nights, weekends, you know, Thankfully, my job was pretty flexible before all this work from home stuff. I I was working from home still a few days a week already. So I had a little bit of flexibility where I could kind of make my schedule during the day, meaning I could take a call from a broker or insurance or whatever. So so we closed the deal. And three months after that, um, the company laid me off. <laughs> they cut off they, the, from the oh, wow. vice president on down. They cut the whole team, unfortunately. So, you know, back to back to my wife in the conversation and how important it is to have a, someone that supports you. You know, we, we looked at what we had and cash in the bank and, and we talked about, you know, our expenses and we knew our run rate and, and we said, okay, well, look, we've got six to eight months of runway here. If you don't make another dollar, um, you know, let's take four months and see what happens. Like, and she really said, like, go take four months and, and see what you can do. Go find another apartment to buy or, or whatever. And just go figure it out. Cause she said, you know, you've been talking about going to real estate full time. You just did this syndicated deal while you were working. Like, what could you do if you had all day and you didn't have to go work? So that was a tough moment for me, but uh, so empowering for her to say, you know, go do what you want to do and we'll figure it out together. And, and thankfully um, I did. <laughs> now that, that's amazing. And I think it kind of parallels what people think about raising capital from folks too, right? Obviously, it wasn't like you just came in one day and said, hey, I'm going to quit my job and let's do this real estate thing, right? You would you, you built that track record. You had had that success. She saw how passionate about it you were. She saw that, hey, he can figure this out. Obviously, there's going to be some bumps in the road. I just think it aligns closely when people are like, hey, I'll just go raise money on a deal or something like that. You know, I'll just mm-hmm. go reach out to these you know, random people that I've met through networking events or social media or whatever, and it's going to be easy. And I just think it goes back to how important actually building the foundation of that relationship is. So when these tough conversations happen, there's that trust that's already built and you're not trying to just start from scratch. Cause I, I would assume if you just came out one day and you're like, Hey, you know, I'm just going to do real estate full time. It, it may have been a little bit of a different outcome in the terms of the conversation. Yeah. yeah. At that point it had been five years, I think, or four years since I'd bought that first rental property. So we were, you know, we were rolling, you know, we, she, she knew that, that that's what I wanted to do. And, and so, you know, from there I had time, I had my days and I, but I didn't really know what to do. And so Matt has a, uh, an office building and uh, sort of like a co-working space, we work type space. And so I just started hanging out down there to be around other investors, to be around people that were doing it and just make myself available. And, um, you know, we were having lunch and Matt was talking about a, a challenge that he was having on, on, he had since bought a uh, 198 unit property down in North Carolina and he was having a challenge. And I said, well, he was going to go. And I said, well, I, I got time. <laughs> let me, let me come with you and I'll drive you. I'll drive you. So you can sit in the back, you can work and I'll drive you. Right. Just not knowing what would come out of it, but at least to be around it, I had never even set foot on a property that large, let alone understand how it works or anything. We got down there on the way. He was talking about this, this problem he was having with a contractor, but we also had some property management issues we had to address. And so, you know, we got there and I'm like, you know what? I'll go get this contractor in order. Like he's got invoices all over the place, word documents, receipts that don't make sense. Like, let me get this guy organized and figure this out. You go handle the property management thing. And it's like from there, it just we just realized like, oh, there's a role here where 
Matt, you know, could be sort of the capital raiser, team lead, bigger picture kind of guy. And I could come in and handle the, the details, which is really what an asset manager does. And so it sort of grew out of me being around and available, <laughs> but also taking advantage of an opportunity, sort of making an opportunity there. And, uh, and so then within a few weeks, he said, yeah, this is, you know, there, there's value here. And so he cut me in and, and gave me equity in the project. And, and I became, you know, full-time asset manager for that project. No, that's awesome. And yeah. uh, so one, I wanted to kind of touch on one of the things you talked about, like, you know, add value. And I think that's mm-hmm. something we hear. And unfortunately, most of us that hear it now, we kind of gloss over, right? Because just that's, that's just whatever. Oh, how do you add value? And, you know, be willing to do something for free. And, and I have people reach out to me a lot and say that, you know, it's like, hey, I'm willing to do anything to really help just to get my feet wet. And so what's the, what's your recommendation for the audience now? Cause I love the way you went about it. You know, you're like, well, I'm going to do everything right. You know, I'm just making this pre-baked and, and you really, you know, you're really just kind of reaping some of the rewards of your past track record. So what's your recommendation to the audience out there when they are yeah. trying to come to people that have this higher level of experience that are, they're trying to, you know, say, oh, I'm willing to do anything or I'm, I can deliver value. But, you know, if they're just saying, hey, I'll take out the trash or whatever, right? You know, that's not necessarily going to be enough. So what's your recommendation yeah. for folks that I mean, are trying to do that? I mean, I get this question a lot, John. I mean, look, if, 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 I, if you don't know me and, you know, maybe we've talked once or twice and I call you, hey, John, yeah, let, let me know if I can ever be of any help. Okay, well, now I'm putting a burden on you, right? Like, you don't know what I'm good at. You don't know what, how I can help your business. You don't, like, what does that even mean? Let me know if I can help you in any way. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that information. So people say that to me and say, okay, thank you. Right. And, and that's really, I I can't, there's nowhere forward that we can go with that information because now you're giving me a, me homework to figure out what you're good at and how you can help me in my business. Right. Especially when I hear that 10 times a day. Right. Or whatever, you know, not, maybe not that much, but, but people pretty often will say, let let us know if I can ever be of any help. Okay. I don't know. So, wouldn't it be a much better thing if you got to know me and learned my business well enough that you saw where I was struggling or where there was opportunity where maybe I wasn't thinking about something or maybe, you know, yeah, you see, I'm driving to North Carolina from New Jersey every few weeks and maybe you could take some something off my plate. Right. And so the more you know me, the more you know the person that you want to help or or be a part of, the more you see the opportunities. Um, and then if you have the trust and you have a relationship, you know, then you can approach and say, Hey, I, I see, I see a problem here, or I see an area that you could be doing better and I'm the solution. And here's why now, now I've taken, you know, that the job of figuring out what you can do away. And, and it's like, Oh yeah, that is a problem. Oh, and you're a solution. Cool. Perfect. Right. Now there's no more thinking and no more like, let's, okay, let's see what you can do and see if you can solve that for me. Well, and I think such a consistent theme that's coming up is just the level of relationship, right? If you talk about yes. with your wife, you talk about with Matt, just in the example that you gave there, it's yeah. not, it's not just, Hey, you know, you do X, you know, I'd love to help you in any way. And I've never, I've never heard of it the way kind of in putting the burden on the other person, right? They're trying to be helpful and saying, Hey, I can help in any way, but really 
that's that that isn't helpful. So most people just kind of blow it off, or like you said, just say, oh, "I appreciate that," but you know, I can't really do anything with it. Right. But to actually dig in and understand, you know, understand their business, and it takes time, right? I mean, you've got to yes. you've got to make that investment over time, and because you know, back to you meeting Matt. I mean, you I know this kind of evolved over years, right? I mean, years. you guys had, yeah. had been at the RIA meetings together. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like all of a sudden, hey, he just bought a forty nine unit. Let me go talk to him, and no. you know, hey, I'll no, do anything no. that I can. No. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's relationship. And and if anyone like whatever you're looking to get into, crypto or land deals or whatever, right? Find someone that's doing that and be do what I did, right? Be around, be available. Don't just blindly you say, hey, let me know if I can help you, but figure out how you can help them. What they don't know your skill set or your superpowers, right? Everyone's got a superpower. So what how can you match up what you're really good at with what they might need in their business and build that relationship over time? You know, of course, you know, take them out for coffee. But again, certain people, if they're successful enough, people are asking them to take them out to coffee all the time or lunches. And it's like at some point that becomes a burden for them too, right? Because how many times are they going to want free advice or or this or that? You know, the people that are out there doing it or would rather just be out there doing it than than taking someone that doesn't really know anything or they don't know out to out to dinner or lunch. So, be cognizant of their time and and see where you can add value. Because if you can find a way to add value to them, then you're going to get all the lunches and coffees you want, right? You're going to get the the eight hours on the road trip to North Carolina to pick their brain. You know, I mean, there's the opportunities will come up, but, you know, be proactive about, about that. Well, and when you say value, I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's one or two things, right? How can you make them more money or how can you make them more efficient with their time use, right? Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. it's pretty cut and dry, right? I mean, it's yeah. like, yeah, oh, I'll go get, you know, I'll go buy you coffee from Starbucks or whatever, right? I mean, there's to somebody that's successful, that's not really a big value add, right? But if you're like, hey, I can help cut expenses on this project by 10% or, hey, you know, I've got a contractor that I know does X, Y, and Z. It looks like you're spending, you know, this much on on that function right now. You know, I think this person can cut your cost by 5% or, hey, yeah. you know, can you do this from a tool perspective to, to save time from a dashboard or automation uh, back to your, your technical PM side of things. And I think that's really what people need to look at is what's the benefit to that individual. And, you know, again, does it make them more efficient with their time utilization or does it make them more money? Because if you are able to deliver one of those two things, the person is probably going to listen to you instead of just, Hey, you know, help me when you can. Yep. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, In my business, right. We buy multifamily properties out of state. And so some of the best relationships we have are real estate investors in the States that we buy property in We've got a guy in Kentucky who tours our properties for us every week. He goes and he takes pictures and photos and video. He knows our property managers. He knows them. He goes in and he'll, I'll get videos and photos saying, Hey man, you know, this gutter's falling down or, you know, look at the trash piling up outside of here. Right. And so now it's evolved into a formal thing, but he recognized that yeah, I'm not flying to Kentucky every week, right? <laughs> you know, but someone, you know, there's always a need to have another set of eyes on your property managers and, and on your very expensive properties. So he found a way to add value. And guess what? Every time we're in town, he's with us and doing meetups and staying for dinners and this and that. And so we're building a great relationship and he's found a way that's, you know, he's got some time available on on a certain day of the week because that works for his work schedule. And he just goes and spends a few hours touring our properties for us. And we're getting value. He's getting value. And it's a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Look at, look at those, look for those blind spots, right? I mean, obviously, you know, when people are successful, there's, there's, they're few and far between, but what are the ones that you can find 
to kind of, again, deliver that value. It's nice to, hey, somebody uh, once a week is actually checking on our properties, right? Because I think there's nothing, most of us can't really go check on our properties on a weekly or biweekly or sometimes even monthly right. basis. So the fact that you've got eyes on it, you know, at that time frame is very nice. So yeah. so let's talk about asset management a little bit. I know you, you touched on it a little bit, but for a lot of folks out there, you know, they think of buying and selling apartments or real estate or anything in general, and they think more of the transaction side, right? That's the exciting mm-hmm. side. Hey, buy this, sell <laughs> this, buy low, sell high, or buy low, sell high. Yeah, you know, and pop the champagne. So- <laughs> we just closed a multi-million dollar deal, right? Exactly, exactly. So what? So what is asset management, and what is your actual function within uh, Matt's organization and Derosa Capital? Yeah. yeah. So great question. Um, asset management is um, the an asset manager is the person that runs the business of the apartment complex, and so you have to remember when you're buying a multifamily property for millions of dollars, you're buying a business. It has real revenue, real expenses, staffing, marketing. You know, there's everything that goes into being a landlord just magnified, you know, 100, 200 times, right? If you've got a big, big enough property. And so the asset manager is a person that that keeps all that organized, that, that writes the business plan when you're in due diligence, that then executes that business plan once you close. And so that could include anything from weekly check-ins with the the property manager to make sure they are doing what you're expecting. Uh, it could be running the construction process, you know, spending dollars where the plan says, right? You can have the best underwritten plan that shows that you're going to make all these great millions of dollars of returns for your investors. That's awesome. But you have to then execute that plan and you have to push the rents where you said you were going to push the rents. You can't just send your underwriting to a property manager and say, hey, go go do this, right? Someone has to control that situation. Somebody has to control the flow of money. Somebody has to control the, the plan and make sure that everything that you wanted to get done is actually getting done. And so that's really how I would summarize asset manager is the person that's responsible for running the business of the apartments. Well, I'm sure you've heard this one before, but herding cats, right? I mean, it just, it's just, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's just funny how much it aligns from what you were doing before. So, yes. how did, so, I mean, I think that's so important. And I think that's where people get caught up in sometimes is like, and somebody equated it to me, like different seasons in life, right? So your first season obviously was working full-time, you know, going to college, working full-time. And now the new, next season is asset manager for DeRosa and, you know, who's, who knows what the future holds, right? None yeah, of us sure. really know yet, but so how, how were we able to, you know, kind of morph the success and the skill set that you gained from your professional career and then rolled that into now what's turned into more of an entrepreneurial career from an investing perspective? What what skills do you think aligned the most to make you successful? Well, you know, I told you I was good at, I, when I realized that I went into project management was because I was good at it. And I told you I can manage people of different ages and backgrounds and experiences to to get stuff done. And really, that's what a project manager does, but that's what an asset manager does as well. And so there's a lot of overlap in the day-to-day skills required. Um, but then asset manager, you lay on this, this whole nother layer, which is the real estate component. So you've got the the under underlying business technical skills of budgeting, forecasting, planning, keeping organized, right? Taking notes, making sure that people are doing what they said they were going to do, the follow-up, like all that stuff that a project manager does. 
And then the real estate side makes it into asset management because now the content, instead of enterprise software, which I told you bored me and I wasn't very interested in the content, but now I've got a real life property with people and tenants and money and new buildings and old buildings and all kinds of stuff happening. Uh, really combined what I was good at with what I was interested in, which was the real estate. And and now the asset management side of it also pays, right? So it's not just a hobby. It's not just something I'm interested in, but now I'm earning equity in all of our projects. I earn fees for our projects. And so now I'm able to support myself and my family as well by doing something that I am good at and enjoy doing. So I found this nice center of these three concentric circles that that I'm good at it, I like it, and, and it's paying for my my expenses. Because you had mentioned that before in regards to, you know, when you got laid off, you're like, well, yeah. what am I going to do all day? Right. Yeah. And I think that I think that's a struggle because for a lot of people that are either looking to start a business or kind of starting the path of entrepreneurship, the likelihood is, I mean, they could run in circles and, you know, just kind of drive themselves crazy doing stuff. But when you look at actually where their time is being spent and then what the value in their time is being spent in those functions, it can be difficult to really, you know, put a finger on it and say, okay, I, I know I can work 40 hours a week, or I know I can work 50 hours a week towards some semblance of revenue generation, right? The majority of people, it's like, hey, I probably could work five to 10 hours a week, maybe 15. But after that, you know, maybe I'm just chasing my tail or, you know, mm-hmm. just Work, you know, working on social media posts or, you know, stuff that's not necessarily going to be, you know, more the long game and sort of instead of the revenue generating, which can be tough leaving a corporate career when you're used to that stable paycheck. And so I think that's just such an important point for folks to think about is, you know, what are you good at and what, and how do you align that with a way to make income or something that you can make money on outside of what you're doing currently, if, if that's the path that you want to take. Yeah. And I think that's the important point. It's great to pursue something that you love, but if it's going to make your life worse in another aspect, you know, if, if all of a sudden now you've got to go take on another job and you're working 70 hours a week because, you know, the path you thought you could go down and now you're not spending the time with the family. So I just think you've really got to look at the situation, understand, you know, how am I going to monetize this? Because it's exciting to pursue your passions and your dreams. But if it's going to be at the downfall of another part of your life and lifestyle, I definitely would just say, you know, make sure you're aligning that. But there's so many different ways to make money. And I think that's why the investing space and businesses in general for me are so exciting because there's just so many avenues that you can go down to be successful. I, I agree. I agree. And you know, for anyone, you know, I, I call it like designing your life, right? How if you sit down and could write down on paper what your life looks like, where you spend your time, if you really are honest with yourself, it's probably not just sitting on the beach drinking mimosas, right? You know, that's sort of the dream, but really it's are you doing productive work that you enjoy that's benefiting others and yourself? And, and is it, and if you enjoy it and you're good at it, then, you know, I've designed myself a life that, yeah, I'm very busy, but I enjoy it. And I can also the entrepreneurial side, you know, I I'm building things, I'm trying things, I'm hiring people, I'm employing other people, which is awesome. But then I have some flexibility where if I don't want to work this Friday afternoon, you know, I don't have a boss that I'm checking in with, right? I have, I have partners and we all work together, but it gives you some flexibility. But also I'm working longer and harder than I ever did for my W-2, but I'm working for myself. And so I enjoy it that much more. So I don't really mind. Well, no, I like that perspective that you just talked about, kind of like those sprints, right? You know, it's, it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to bust my butt for six hours or eight hours or 10 hours, but then, you know, I'm going to give myself a little bit of a break, you know, take yeah. off the Friday afternoon, hang out with the family, go to the park, you know, whatever the case is, go do something fun yeah. and then recharge. And then you're kind of back at it, you know, kind of when, when you need to be. So you've been doing the asset management for a while now. So what's been one of the more hairy situations or kind of one of the most challenging obstacles that you've had to overcome so far? 
Oh man, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Listen. So just I'll give some summary. So so we they brought me in um the end of 2018 uh on on that project there. That was when I got laid off. And then in 2019, we bought three more properties together. Um, 166 unit, a 222 unit, and a 48 unit property. And then we did not buy anything again until um, October of 2020, where we made our largest purchase, um, which is a, a 300 over 300 unit property in North Carolina. So we have now over a thousand units, um, which means we have five or six apartments that you know are each businesses and each in different stages of their life cycle. Some we're doing very heavy renovation on, some are kind of more stabilized. But getting all through 19 was really about establishing business processes, learning on the go. You know, I had the project management skills, but at multifamily asset management is is an is another level up. And there's a lot of things that we have to look at and and keep track of. And I would say that the biggest thing is the people who are on the ground representing you and working for you at the property, at the property management level. And we had some challenges on one of our properties where we certainly had the wrong property management company. They were not as local as they sh- we should have hired a more local company. They were coming in from a few hours away. And because of that, they were letting their staff kind of do whatever they wanted. And we were allowing that to happen. So we eventually found out that, you know, the the maintenance guy was selling our used appliances off and, and putting the money in his pocket. Um, we found out that, you know, there were people that units should have been vacant, but there were people living in some of those units, but they weren't on the rent roll. So where was the money for those units going, right? Um, and so really the, the hardest thing about investing far away is, and, and not having a strong team is that, you lose control over what's happening at your property. And so we learned some hard lessons that way, um, but also we have changed how we qualify our management companies and how we interact with our staff so that we have a very, very good sense of what's happening on our properties on a daily basis. Um, but yeah, the, the the guy that's that's stealing your, basically stealing your appliances out of a vacant because he knows you're going to renovate the unit. So might as well sell that appliance set off, right? <laughs> uh, but at some point we looked up and said, hey, where we should have like 50 sets of appliances. Like I know a few of them were bad, but where are they? And and they're just gone. Meanwhile, you know, the 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 dude shows up when you're on a site visit, like, hey, you guys got any more of those appliances for me? Like what's, and, and <laughs> like, what? no, man, what, what are you trying to buy my appliances? We don't sell appliances. Oh yeah, no, that the maintenance guy, he sells me appliances all the time. Um, so that was a nice, fun way to learn about, you know, what's happening at, at the property when you're not there. Um, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta stay in tune with, with the people and, and what's happening because it's very easy to get, to let it run away from you when you're investing out of state. Well, and it's, it's funny cause there's so many variables. There's, there's so many different scenarios that can play out and yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean, something that would be an afterthought is, you know, what, yeah, what are you going to do with the the leftover appliances? Because like you said, you're turning the units and you're, you're yeah. buying brand new stuff anyways. Yeah. But obviously, even if you can sell them for even pennies on the dollar, right? At least that's additional revenue that, you know, there's some value in it, right? At least yep. if it works somewhat, yep. you could sell it for a couple bucks or something like that. And you talk about- Hey, if I 150 units times 200 bucks, yeah, I'll take it. For sure. For sure. For yeah. sure. Well, no, I appreciate the transparency and the honesty. So- 
Yeah, man, this has been a great conversation, but let's wrap up with uh, the contrarian three pack. So I know you're more of a real estate guy, but I want to know, um, has there been anything out there from an investment perspective that you would say is maybe the most contrarian that you've done in your investing career? No, I mean, look, for me, it was no one in my family ever invested in in anything, in, even in their savings accounts, really. So for me to to have learned what I taught myself through bigger pockets and books and everything else, and to go buy a rental property when I was a tenant myself, that was just the most contrarian move I, I could have made from the scenario that I came from. And and I'm so grateful that I did, but no one else, you know, I, I wasn't raised thinking about cash flow and and property appreciation or anything like that. And so just uh, just getting into it, that's that's for me that I, I guess I would have to answer it that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, and to see how far you've been able to take it since then is is beyond yeah. impressive. So obviously yeah. it ended up being the right move. Yeah. <laughs> so I know you talked about your kids, obviously your wife. So what do you guys like to do with friends and family outside of the business, the real estate, you know, and you do have a little bit of downtime? Yeah. You know, lately we've been prepping, as you mentioned, for this big move. I'm hoping to uh, move down your way here in the next few months. And uh, that's taken a lot of our time and energy. And and with COVID, that's been, it's been tough to to do too much of that. But we love to get outdoors. And so um, I was an Eagle Scout. And so camping and hiking is is big for me. And thankfully, my wife is into it as well. Not to the same level, but, you know, she wants like a bathroom at the campground and all that, which I, I'm okay with. But uh, my my oldest son has been camping with us a few times and really is is enjoying it. So that's something that we want to keep doing and, and get my youngest has not been out there yet. He's almost two, but we'll uh, we'll get him out there soon. So. Uh, well, there's there's a, there's a bunch of nice places down here. We'll have we'll have to show you. you have when to you show get down me, here. show me around. Yeah. Love to. We did. We we took our our girls out last year. Uh, it's right on the lake. It was just beautiful. You know, nice nice sunset. You know, they can go dip their feet in the water and uh, awesome. you know just get out there and and just hang out. Right, enjoy Let's nature. You know, put it. put the phones away. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, what so what does offer you the most fulfillment in life? Man, that's a that's a good question, man. It's seeing my sons grow and the the boys that they're already growing into and see how like the curiosity they have about the world and just talking about you know my my four-year-old just has some great questions now about life and so the the questions the conversations that we're starting to get into and um then hearing him like you know tell his mom later on like sort of very confidently about something that we talked about, you know, not like daddy told me this, but this is how the world is. And it's, I'm loving that, man. And so we're just sort of figuring it out as we go. And I'm just loving uh, seeing them learn and grow. Yeah, man. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I mean, family first and foremost, uh, definitely there. And I think that's why your story is so powerful because like you said, you're kind of getting that freedom of choice of time. You know, you can kind of work when you want to, but you can also take the time off and and spend time with the family, uh, when it's needed. So Justin, well, this is great. Um, well, I guess most importantly, what are you most excited about living close to me down here in North Carolina? Oh, man. You know, there are so many breweries down there. I can't (laughs) wait to try all the beer, the weekend. It's going to be a long weekend. (laughs) We'll see if we can hit them all. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do them all in a weekend. Oh my God. Yeah. The breweries, the weather, the, the, just the different lifestyle, man. I'm, I, we're so pumped. It's something that, you know, my wife and I do a goal setting uh, every year around new year's, you know, pretty, pretty much not maybe on new year's, but right around. And I found our sheet from, from four years ago. And that was when we wrote down, like we, 
you know, when we have, uh, as our kids grow before kindergarten, we want to move to a new place. And we didn't know where that place was, but that was sort of the the first conversation that we had. And here we are now it's, it's happening. So I'm really stoked about that. You're not going to be disappointed. I, I love North Carolina. There's so much to do. You got the mountains, you got the beach, you got all sorts of stuff. You got yeah. cool people like me. So, you know, you can't go wrong. <laughs> so, well, that was really how we made the decision. Like, where's John Blanton? Let's go there. <laughs> well, I mean, again, you can't go wrong with that. The, just using that as a deciding factor. So, <laughs> all right, Let's Justin. Well, what's the best way the audience can get a hold of you out there? Yeah. So I have a podcast where we talk all about asset management and we have awesome guests who come on and, and share their stories on really positive and negative, how they, you know, learned, learned some tough lessons and fired property managers. I, I tell some of those stories and uh, I'll share my stuff and, and we have awesome guests. So True Multifamily is the podcast. Uh, Justin at truemultifamily.show is the email. And you can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, all those places. Would love to connect with you guys and talk about asset management. And I think you guys got a little bit of space left in the DeRosa, DeRosa Capital 11, right? <laughs> we always have deals going on, man. <laughs> We're interested. <laughs> we, we've, got, we've got space in what we have and we've got space in, in what's coming next. We're, we're putting out offers almost every day now. So, Yeah. Well, I'd, re- I'd recommend anybody in the audience, go check it out. Doing great stuff. Put out great content. Do great things in the community as well. So, you know, when you look at it as a bigger picture, they're doing really good things. So, well, Justin, man, this has been outstanding. Thanks again. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me. Until next time, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.